do what he wants to do. It's, it's God's will to raise him up, but it takes the prayer of faith so that God can do what it is he wants to do. And this is one of the things we need to learn, that we serve in a partnership with God. We're not equal partners, but we're just as necessary because there are things God very much wants to do in people's lives. But he's designed this so that he cannot do them unless we, as children of God, will call upon him and authorize him to do what he already wants to do, and he wants to use his authority and his power through us. And here's a great example. It wasn't even something I thought about. So, but he goes on to say, and if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Notice how the Bible joins together forgiveness and healing. We'll talk about that at another time. The, the church separates them, but God joins them together. Confess, therefore, confess your trespasses to one another, pray for one another, pray for one another that you may be, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I taught you last week in the Greek language, what this is written in originally by the Holy Spirit, the word effectual and fervent is really one word. And it really means energy operating, producing something. The prayer of a righteous man avails or accomplishes much. So what we talked about last week, and we're going to pick up on this week, is the most powerful thing the most powerful force available in the world today to deal with all this stuff is in our hands and it's in our mouth and it's prayer. And yet so often the church and we as believers try to use all kinds of other things to fight and to overcome and, 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 and not the power that God has made available to us in prayer. And hopefully we're, we're waking up to that. I want to read this to you in the Amplified James 5.16 in the Amplified says, The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. I want to read that again because this is what we're going to do tonight. We're not saying prayers tonight. We're not doing as I think we so often do is take prayers and just kind of throw them up and hope something sticks with God. Because if it doesn't, it's coming right back down to us. And so often that's, we may not say it that way, but that's often the attitude we say, have. But the Bible says that the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man, that, that's all of us that are Christians, makes tremendous, tremendous power available, <clears throat> dynamic in its working. So the Word says it is effective, it's powerful. And something that's powerful and effective means it ought to produce results. I remember one time years ago that when we had a Tuesday night prayer meeting here and, and uh, for some reason the pastors were all tied up and it was good because so, I asked one of the elders who's not here anymore, he's, he moved on and went somewhere else to another church and serving in there in another part of the country. And I asked him to, to fill in and to lead prayer that night. And he did a good job. And as I came through at the end of prayer, I had listened to a little bit. He said to me, he says, well, well, how did I do? <laughs> and I said, well, we'll know when we see the results. Because <laughs> prayer is not about a performance. It's not about feeling good when we left. And that's good to do because often we feel, we feel something when we left because we know in our spirit something's happened. But the purpose of prayer is to see things changed. 
And so that's our goal tonight. That's our expectation. And that's God's expectation. Effective and powerful in its working. But in order for that to happen, we've got to begin to understand some basic things that the Bible teaches us because we can't just call on God to do things. We have to do it His way. And when we do it His way, He's able to work through us. So let's go over to Hebrews chapters, Hebrews, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Now Paul has just finished writing one of the most important letters in the New Testament. It's a letter to the church at Ephesus, which is a church that he founded. And, and he's writing, writing this after he's had a meeting with them, which you'll see in, in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, he's basically saying his goodbye to them. They're crying. He prays over them. And he basically lets them know they're never going to see him again in this life because he's going to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he already knows he's going to be arrested and most likely eventually executed. But he ends this conversation with them in Acts chapter 20 by warning them of something. And he warns them that after he leaves them, ravenous wolves are going to come in. And he's not talking about four-legged wolves. He's talking about two-legged wolves, people that are going to come into the church and try to distract it and destroy it with doctrines and with all kinds of false teaching and to mislead people. So he's trying to prepare them for what's going to come. So he takes this wonderful letter full of all kinds of great doctrines and the first three chapters that you could live in them for the rest of your life because it's a revelation of who you are in Christ. But then in chapter 6 he talks about children obeying their parents and then in verse 10, he seems to change the subject. And we're going to read up, I'm going to read down and we'll read uh, verse 12 together. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord in the, power, in the power in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the deceits or the tricks of the devil. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. For we do not wrestle that implies a fight. So we are in a spiritual war and he's telling us our adversary is not flesh and blood. It's not other people. It's not your spouse. It's not the government. It's not people. It's not... And, we, and what we do is we, we get our eyes on people. We get our eyes on natural issues. And when we do, we're fighting a spiritual war in the wrong realm. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. Because in this natural, physical, fleshly realm, we have no power. Well, the only power you have is what you got in your muscles. And you try to duke it out with the devil with your muscles and you won't get very far. The seven sons of Sceva tried it. <laughs> and you can read what happened to them in the book of Acts. And so here's so much of the problem is the church is trying to fight a spiritual war with fleshly weapons. What's an example of that? We see something that's happened to somebody, or even in this situation, where you get people sick and you get these threats, and we, we, we get angry at the situation, and we start praying out of anger. Now, there is a holy anger, but it's very different, and most people don't operate in it. Most of the time, it's our own motives, it's our own flesh angry at a situation, and we're trying to engage God to, 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 ju to, to justify revenge for our anger, whether it's at the devil or anybody else. And so we have to make sure we're not doing this in our flesh.
because your flesh will pr- never will produce anything that's good. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but who do we wrestle against? Principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age in spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is speaking of different levels of demonic spirits. We have to recognize that so much of what's going on in the world, certainly everything that's bad that's going on in the world, ultimately has demonic spirits behind it. They may not be in a person who's sick, although many times it is a a demon that's working in them, but they are behind this and ultimately the demon of all demons, Satan himself, is behind it. Jesus says, the thief comes, Satan, only to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so we have to make sure, first of all, that we are fighting this war in the right realm. Now the good news is, in this realm, the Bible tells us that we have weapons that are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. We just saw in, in chapter, in verse 10 here, that, that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So in prayer, we need to learn how to exercise our prayer and the power of prayer, not in our strength, but in His strength. And this is one of the great lessons that I've found in the Lord is teaching me, and it's changing my prayer life, it's changing my confidence, and it's changing the results. Prayer is the most powerful weapon that we have. It's, if, we, if you had a nuclear bomb that you could drop on the devil, it wouldn't hurt him, because he's a spirit. And a bomb doesn't destroy anything spiritually. It just destroys things in this natural realm. But you have a nuclear bomb in the spirit that's mightier than any atom bomb, a hydrogen bomb, or any other kind of gas bomb. And that is the name that's above every name. That at the mention of that name, at the mere mention of that name, every knee must bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth where our enemy dwells. So, prayer is the most important, is the most powerful weapon that we have as church. But it cannot be, it has to be prayer in the realm where the enemy lives. The same is true of positive things. We've talked about this before. In John chapter, uh, John chapter 4, uh, verse tw- verse, uh, John 4, verse 24, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And, and he, he's talking to her. She talks talking about worship. And she gets into this discussion with him. Well, where is the correct place to worship? Uh, my people say it's on this mountain. Your people say it's in Jerusalem. Where is the right place to worship? And he basically says, your people don't know anything about worship. My people do, but they're wrong about it now. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, for true worshipers, worship is a weapon, for true worshipers must And the Greek word that's behind that is absolutely as emphatic as you can get. There's no other option, no other alternative. True worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And he goes on to explain why. Because the God we are worshiping is a spirit. So that means you cannot worship God in the flesh. And so many people do. You can praise God with your flesh. 
You can sing songs of thanksgiving with your flesh. In fact, that's often how it starts. But true worship has to be spirit to spirit. Why? Because that's what God is. God is a supreme being who dwells in a realm that is not of this flesh. It is a spirit realm and He is a spirit being. But the same is true of our enemies. They are a spirit being and they dwell in a spirit realm. So the weapons that we use against them have to flow in and out of the spirit. And this is where so many people don't understand this. So we pray out of our own motives, we pray out of our own will, and and it will work to an extent. But when you get into some of the things that we're dealing with now, to be truly effective, we have to do it with the understanding of how God has designed this to work. So, we have to learn how to pray in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We have to learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to pray through us because He's the one that has the power. You and I don't have the power. We have Him living in us and we need to have Him flowing out of us in our prayer. But He has the power. We just read in Ephesians 6.10, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. That word power is a Greek word that we've translated into English as dynamite. It is the unlimited power and ability of God to create, to change, and to do things in this natural material realm. And so, so we are to, we are the Spirit of, the Spirit of God, we need to engage Him or allow Him to engage us in praying for or against or about a situation. So, it means we need to learn how do you do that. But it begins by recognizing that has to be our goal. And, and here's the challenge with it. It doesn't happen quickly. It's not like you can just turn a switch and start unless you've been doing it for a while. Unless you're used to praying that way, then He can do that in you. But if you're not used to this, it's going to take some patience, but it's well worth the patience and the effort to develop it. And the good news is this. You have a teacher living inside of you who wants more than you do to teach you how to pray effectual, fervent prayers that avail much. He's working in you to get you to do this. So you don't have to do it on your own. You've got the ability and the power of God to teach you how to do it. But there's some basic things we need to learn and some things that the Bible tells us to help us to do that. So to do that, let's go over... Let's go over uh, to Romans chapter 8. Along with Ephesians, this is one of the most important and powerful books in the Bible. Now chapter 8, excuse me, it's really, in my view, the most important, it's the the heart of this this book and it's the heart of the gospel. Because really what this chapter is all about is how God, through the Holy Spirit, enables us to do things we do not have the ability to do. And he starts out about just being saved. He starts about, about by saying, you know, when you were weak. Chapter 7 is all about Paul's weakness. 
It's all about, you know, the things I was supposed to do, uh, the very things I determined to do, I, 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 ended up, I couldn't do them, and the very things I'm not supposed to do are the very things I went out to do. And he goes about this battle that we all understand if you've ever tried to live righteously in your own strength. And he ends up the chapter 7 with this, this cry of despair, Who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer follows it right away. Thanks be to Christ Jesus. And chapter 8 opens, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And he goes on to explain, For what you could not do for yourself in your own strength, God did, sending His own Son. The whole chapter is about how our flesh was a weakness so that we could not change ourselves, we could not deliver ourselves, but how God in His grace, through His Son, and then He moves over into His Spirit, is delivering us and enabling us to do what we can't do in ourselves. And then He gets over to verse 26. And He now talks about prayer. And I went through that so you understand I don't want to take this out of isolation. Because he says likewise. So he's comparing what he's about to say with this whole principle I just talked to you about. So in the same way that God helped you become righteous when you couldn't do it yourself by sending his son to pay for your sin and giving you his righteousness. In the same way, the Spirit of God helps you to know God your Father and cries out witnesses within your heart that you are indeed a child of God and helps you to cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father, to God, a holy God. He enables you to do that. And then he goes through the the, the trouble that's in the world. And now he says, likewise, in the same way that the Spirit helps you in those things, likewise the Spirit also helps you in our weaknesses, for we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. Stop there a second. That's worth dwelling on. And I'm not criticizing anybody. I've done this myself so many times. But I went to Bible school under a, a man named Kenneth Hagin, Rhema Bible Training Center, it's called them. And this man was not only apostle of faith, but of love. But this man knew how to pray. And one of the lessons I learned from him, and I sometimes have to, I forget it and I have to go back and learn it again, is when we find a situation, we pray too quickly. We just jerk a prayer out. We feel that somehow when a need is presented to us, we have an obligation to go ahead and to pray immediately. Sometimes we do that because we're so upset or moved by the situation that we feel we need to do something. So as a, you know, as a, as a knee-jerk reaction, we pray. And that's good. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. But we want to learn to pray effectively. And there are very few times is it so urgent that you can't do what I'm going to tell you we need to do. Because you see, when we do that, it's as if we reached in our holster and pulled out our six-shooter, but we never bothered to put bullets in it. And we're shooting at the devil a gun that has no bullets at us. And he's just laughing back at us. And then what happens is, when we don't see any change, we become discouraged. And when we become discouraged, we either do one of two things. We either stop praying... Or we keep on praying, but we don't really expect anything. I need a Kleenex here. I'm getting worked up. 
We don't expect anything. So we've got to learn how to put bullets in the gun <laughs> and the, where we get the bullets from. So here's what he says. For the Spirit, likewise, the Spirit helps, uh, helps in our weaknesses, for we don't know what we should pray as we ought. So most of us launch into prayer, and yet the Bible says we don't know what to pray. Think about that. Well, it's obvious what we need to pray. This person's sick, they need to be healed. This person doesn't, we know, I don't have any money, I need money. We have this pandemic, we need to just, you know, we need to pray against the pandemic. Here's a need, we need to pray against this, we need to pray for this. But the Bible says we don't know what to pray. So the beginning, the beginning of spiritual maturity, the beginning of allowing God to work through you is to be willing to admit what you don't know. Because what that does is that humbles us. And God can only work through humble vessels because of, as a protection for us. Because pride will destroy us. And if we have pride and God flows His power through us, we'll become an idol. We will become lifted up in pride. And then we become a target for Satan. And the danger of pride is people involved in pride don't realize they're proud. It's the most deceptive thing you can get into. So, so the Bible says we don't know what to pray as we ought. But, aren't you glad there's a but in here? The Spirit Himself makes intercession for us. So what does that mean? Well, He just said before, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Now, the, Greek, the English word helps does not carry the full meaning of the Greek word that is behind that word helps. The Greek word that's behind it is three words combined together. And together, what they say is, the Spirit takes hold together with us against something. He take, in, in, in prayer, He takes hold... Oh, this is good. I, I'm having fun up here, so you guys just come along with me. He takes hold together with us. So He doesn't do it for us. And we don't do it apart from Him. We're together. He takes hold together with us against the problem. And, and here's the image I kind of get with that. Suppose you're driving home... From, well, I won't say that, confess that over you tonight. <laughs> Suppose you're driving home from, from, night, from work or something, and you're, 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 it's late at night, and, and, and your, your car just stalls. And, and, and you, just, you just need to get it off the side of the road and have somebody come pick you up. So you get out of the car and you're trying to push this 3,000, 4,000 pound vehicle and, and you, you, just, you don't have the strength to do that. And suddenly somebody that you didn't hear behind you, Mr. Atlas, comes along next to you and he doesn't say, get out of the way. He comes alongside of you and he provides the power and the direction for helping you to move that car where it has to go. So the Spirit works with us, provides the power and provides the wisdom of what to pray.
He takes hold together with us in our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. But pastor, it's obvious what we should pray for. This person's sick in bed. They need healing. But you ever notice when Jesus prayed for people, He didn't do the same thing each time? Have you noticed that? You ever wonder why? There's sometimes He cast a demon out. But He didn't cast a demon out of everybody that was sick. There's sometimes He laid hands on them. But He didn't lay hands on everybody that was sick. There's sometimes He just spoke to the condition. He told a man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand. He didn't lay hands on him. He didn't cast out a demon. And then a little later on, there's a woman who's been bent over 18 years and he calls it a, a, a spirit of infirmity and he tells her to stand up. Then the greatest one of all, a blind man comes up to him and he spits in his eyes. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Did Jesus just kind of make those things up? No. He do, was doing exactly what we're talking about tonight. The Spirit of God knew what the need was and He knew what the solution was. Listen to this. We see with our... See, hear it again. We see with our natural eyes and our brilliant brain connects the dots and figures out what the need is and then we launch into it by throwing scriptures at it, by throwing words at it and yet living inside of us is the one who knows what needs to be prayed in this situation and has the ability to show you and lead you and then the power to answer the prayer. He has the ability to communicate perfectly with God the Father where you and I don't. We're often influenced by our emotions about a situation. And so we need to learn. Now, I was taught, and many, many of you have been taught, that what Paul is talking about here is praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. And I believe it does involve that. But I don't believe it's exclusively that. He doesn't say pray in tongues. Whereas there are other places he says praying in tongues. Now there are times he refers to praying in the Spirit and later connects that with praying in tongues. And I believe that is an important part of it. But the principle here isn't that you're praying in tongues or not praying in tongues. The principle here is you're opening yourself up and allowing the Holy Spirit to engage with you, to take hold together with you against that situation. I didn't give, her, give them this verse, but I want to go on. Because verse 27 says, Now he who searches the heart, that's God, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit knows God's will in a situation. And that leads to my next point. Why this is so important. How can you engage the Spirit in your prayer? How can you engage the Holy Spirit in your prayer? But I'm going to list, give you two things that God's been teaching me. And I'm still just learning some of these things. The first thing, because notice what it says in verse 27. Because He makes intercession for the saints for whatever they want and whenever they want it. That's not what it says, is it? According to the will of God. Remember what the purpose of prayer is. 
The purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we want Him to do. The purpose of prayer is to cooperate with God so that through us He can do what He wants to do. It will change your prayer life when you begin your prayers by setting yourself and saying, God, I only want to pray what you want to pray over this situation. So I need your Spirit to lead me and to guide me so that I know that your will is being prayed through me about that situation. And I don't know what it is. I may think I know, but I want to humble myself to admit to you that you know more about this than I do. When you're willing to humble yourself and when you're willing to set aside your own desires, your own motives, and submit them to allow God's will to work through you, it will change everything. And listen to this. Your will may be exactly the same as God's will. But it's so important because you can be going to God for what you want done in that situation even though it's the same thing and you're not connecting His will with it. It's because we humble ourselves to do His will. John 15, 7. They're not going to put it up there, but Jesus talking about prayer. He says that most of that chapter is about prayer. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish. I thought you can ask. You just said we have to ask God's will. We can't just ask whatever we wish. But the first part of that verse is, the condition is, if you abide in Him. And you can't live and abide in Him and not be allowing His will to flow through you. So we have to set our heart. And, and this is something, this requires time and discipline to be able to, to, to yield your heart to God's will. And all you need to do is to be willing. Because one of the verses that's meant so much to me over the last few years is in the first chapter of Philippians, I think first chapter of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 13, somewhere in there, is, is for, for it is God who is at work in you. For it is God who is at work in you. For it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to do His good pleasure. So God's already in you by the Holy Spirit to help you to just your will to His will, but you have to be willing to let Him do that. Many times it's our motive and our desires that we're praying for, which may be the same as His. Now this takes time and it takes some patience to develop and faith. But guess what? God's not panicked. When we hear a situation and we get so upset and worked up about it, the God in you is not panicked. He's not panicked. One word from Him can change. He's held time back for a whole day in the Old Testament. So God's not panicked. So it's worth taking a little time to set yourself to make sure you're putting bullets in the gun before you start pulling the trigger. The second thing is you will not learn how to do this unless you're spending time with God. You can't come to a prayer meeting, you can't get into a crisis and start pulling out scriptures out of your Bible and start throwing at them and expect the Holy Spirit to begin to... He's trying to, but you're not in tune with Him. 
because you can't get in tune with Him just because you turn a switch once a month or once a week. It comes by spending time with Him every day. Spending time, whatever time that is. I mean, this is the, we've learned this for years, but it's the only thing that works. Because prayer comes out of a relationship with God. You're talking to your Father. That's what Jesus tried to teach His disciples. Don't you know your Father knows what you need before you ask? But He's still telling you to ask. Don't be like the Gentiles who think that they're going to be heard because of how they pray. For your Father knows what you need. And always have confidence in the one you're talking to because He's your Father and He loves you and He wants to provide for you. He wants to answer your prayers more than you begin to want to have them answered them. So it takes time just learning to talk to God and, and listening so that you can learn His promptings when He begins to direct you in prayer. And then you can begin to recognize what His will is like. One of the ways I've learned how to do this more than any other was praying for people, especially people I didn't like. <laughs> none of you, none of you online. Praying for people I didn't agree with. And I, I began to pray what Jesus told His disciples to pray. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> your kingdom come and your will be done. And as I began to focus on people and say, Father, I, I'm, I want to see your will done in their lives. And as I began to do that, my heart began to open up to them and I began to see them as God sees them and it was very different than as I saw them. So by doing that, I found my heart begin to connect more with His will in a situation. And, and, and I'd love to tell you I've mastered this. I'm really just in many ways learning how to pray this way in a different way. But it's so much more effective. So it takes time. It takes developing this relationship. But be encouraged. God is in you. He wants you to learn this more than you ever will begin to want to learn. So we're going to begin to do this tonight. We're going to pray. I'm going to start. We're going to pray for our leaders because it's the Bible tells us to pray for them. And I want to tell you this. You pray for your leaders whether you voted for them or voted against them, whether you like them or you don't like them because God said to do it. It's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy to pray for those that we believe in and not pray for those that we don't believe in. Even if they're wrong, they especially need prayer. So we're going to open with that and then, then we're going we're gonna to pray that what's really on my heart tonight is to pray for people in this body that are struggling with sickness and disease and especially some that are struggling with, with this virus and some complications for it. I, I, want, I want to say a word of warning and, and not so much to you here so much, but maybe, I don't know, and anybody that may be walking, watching online. There's a balance when it comes to talking on, on, in, in, on social media and, and getting information out about who's sick and where they are and, and what's going on. My, my first inclination is to not publish who's sick. I remember I've never, was never in a Catholic church, but I've attended enough services where I, there's a part of the service where they recite the names of people that are in the church and people pray for them. And, 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 and I've never I felt that people ought to have their privacy. I don't know who's going to be praying, whether they're going to be praying the right way or not. But we're in some urgent situations where it, we've got to do this and get people involved. But you should only be sharing information about people that may be sick for the purpose of engaging people to pray. 
and never for gossip's sake. Because there'll be people out there that'll take, I got a blurb today uh, listing people that are supposedly in this church that are battling this virus, all right? And, and it wasn't gossipy, but I cringe because I don't know who's going to see this and what they're going to do with it. People start, go- did you know so-and-so has this? Oh, so-and-so is in the hospital. Did you know this? That's not prayer. That's actually countering it because it's speaking a curse out over them because we're declaring they're sick with it. Remember, our motive in prayer is critical. So if you're not sure that your motive is to, is to engage people in true faithful prayer, don't publish it. Don't publish it. But we're going to pray tonight. I'm going to use some names, and I've got permission, because we need to know who they are and pray for them. It's not a time to be shy. And so we'll do that, and then I'm going to release you to pray. To pray, And, and maybe while we're praying, I would hope while we're praying, something comes to you. I had a situation today where I was praying for somebody. And I did. I spent quite a bit of time praying in the Spirit. And I was just praying. And slowly but surely, an idea grew up in me. And I didn't just rush out to act on it. I wanted to make sure. So I just kept rolling it around inside of me. Holy Spirit, is this you? And it was telling me to tell somebody to do something that made, didn't make a lot of sense. But the more I prayed it, the more I could see it felt right. I knew it was right. And then I could hear these thoughts bombard me. Well, what if you're wrong? And I knew that's the voice of the devil. The devil was telling me not to do it. Now, I'm going through this process while I'm praying because my, heart, my motive is to find, connect with the Holy Spirit. What do you want? And he gave me some instructions. And that's where I focus my prayer. Now that's a bullet in a gun because now the Holy Spirit is put in the gun what we are to pray, what I was to pray. So now I had a whole different level of confidence because now I knew God's power was behind that prayer. And we need to learn, we need to learn how to do that. So let's just begin. We'll begin the way we normally do. And then I'm going to pray for some specific people. Then we're going to pray for people generally in this body that I may not know their names. Remember, you may know some people. And maybe they're not even in this body, but they come to you. And then I'm just going to release you to pray. And just, just try your best to do this. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and just spend a little few moments just talking to God about the person if you can't pray in the Spirit. Yeah. And then, then just whatever it is, just step out in prayer. So, Father, we come to you and thank you. that We believe with all our heart that you are teaching us to pray the way you've called us to pray. Father, in the hour in which we live right now, it is so critical, so critical that we learn how to pray effective prayers because this is what you put us here to do more than anything else. And so we come to you tonight, Father, as, as best we know how to humble ourselves and admit, as your word says so, that we don't know what to pray. And many times we've really not learned how to pray in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So we ask you to forgive us, Father. Forgive us for any pride, certainly our ignorance, and now help us 
to learn. We thank you that, that your word teaches us that you have put in us the Holy Spirit as a teacher and he is to lead us into truth. And so we're asking the Holy Spirit to teach us how to pray effectual, fervent prayers. We're righteous because we're righteous in Christ that our prayers may accomplish much for your will and your kingdom. Jesus taught us in in John 15 that, that we may bear fruit and that that fruit may bring glory to you. That you may get the glory out of seeing situ- people seeing situations changed because prayer has gone forth. And your power and your glory and your compassion is demonstrated through prayer. And so, Father, we come to you tonight. I come to pray for everyone that's here and everyone that's watching online that you would help us to learn Help us to learn in our quiet time with you. Help us to learn in the night when we wake up. Help us to learn whatever the situation may be, to turn inward and to engage and call upon the Holy Spirit to help us to pray. And now, Father, we turn to that tonight. We come to you, first of all, to pray for those that are in leadership and authority over our lives, that we may live a quiet and a peaceable life. And Father, certainly in this world today, your people, your church, to do what we are here to do, need to be able to live a quiet and a peaceable life. And so we pray, Father, we're about to go through a change in leadership in the highest office in this land. And we pray, Father, with all the turmoil and all the confusion and all the anger and all the things that are never from you, we pray, Father, for a peaceful transition. We pray for peace in this land, peace, Lord, in, in, our, in the halls of our government. And we pray for our presidents, the president that's leading office and the president-elect that's about to come into office. We pray for the wisdom of God. We pray for the grace of God because there are spiritual forces that bear in on that office that these men could never imagine until they step into that position. And we pray, Father, that your kingdom will come that your will will be done in their lives and through their lives. We pray for their souls, Lord. The most important thing you care about them is their souls, that you open the eyes of their understanding, that they would see the hope of your calling for their life that's in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask you to open their eyes to recognize that the authority that they are assuming, the authority that's being put in their hands has come from you, It's not come from the people. It's not come from the Constitution. It has ultimately come from you for all authority comes from you. And because it's from you, they will have to give an account to you of how they exercise it for the benefit of the people that they serve. Open their eyes to recognize that and teach them the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Father, we pray for all the other leaders in Congress, the leaders in our House, in our Senate, our Supreme Court, We pray for our state leaders, Father, for the change that's taking place in in Rhode Island. We We pray for Governor Baker in Massachusetts. We pray for the people that surround them. We pray, Father, tonight specifically for our own dear sister, Dr. Nicole Scott Alexander. Father, you put her in a critical place 
And you put her there, Father, because you have a purpose for her life there. And we ask you, Father, to strengthen her, give her grace. Father, there's tremendous pressure right now. And more than she as an individual with all her intelligence, with all her education, with all her skills, what's going on is beyond those skills and talent and beyond it. And I know she would admit that very easily. And we pray for the grace that she needs, Father. The grace that she needs, Lord as we continue to move along in this journey, not just the pandemic, because this is not all that she's responsible for. There are many other issues out there of health that she's overseeing and responsible for. And Father, she knows, and we come to you for the grace, the grace and the strength and the wisdom that she needs, Father. We thank you. Encourage her tonight. Encourage her. Help her family, Lord, to be strong, not just to support her, but for the health of her family, her husband, her son, Father, for their health and welfare of their family, that they not pay a price for what she's doing. We thank you, Father, and we pray for her husband, for the call that he have on his life, for what you've put him to do. Father, now we come to this issue. I want to pray for something else, Father. I want to pray for the other pastors in this area. For, Lord, they're responsible for overseeing the welfare, the spiritual and the physical, the emotional welfare of people that you've entrusted to them. And they can't do that in their strength either. Many pressures come against them, many distractions, many, many things come against them to attack them and to discourage them and to wear them down. And we come together for our brothers and sisters and we pray for the grace, the strength, and the wisdom that they need, Father. Help them to hear from you and to have your wisdom for how you want them to lead their congregations in this time. And now, Father, we turn our attention. We turn our attention to people that are in this body right now from this. Protection for those that are on the front line. Protection for those that are caregivers, whether it's in an institution or whether it's just caring for somebody in their home. And I want to pray for protection for all the homes in this, in this fellowship, in this, in this community of believers. And just ask you to agree with me. Father, I come to you, I come to you as the one you have, in, who you have placed responsibility for the spiritual welfare. And I come to you, Lord, in, in the authority that you've given me for that purpose. And we just pray, Lord, we pray for the protection, the protection that you have promised in Psalm 91 that no plague shall come near our dwelling. We thank you, Father, that as we learn to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of the Almighty, and we say of the Lord, He is our rock, our refuge, our God, in whom we trust, that you will cause the angels to watch over and keep us and protect us. We plead the blood of Jesus over all of our homes, just as you told Moses to put the blood over the household, over the doorways of the households when the angel of death was coming. And so, Lord, we plead that blood over our families, over each of our households, over our children, if they're grown and living in a separate household, grandchildren. We just pray, Father, for your grace. We pray, Father, for your protection. We pray together in agreement, Father, for the blood of Jesus, the blood that defeated Satan, the blood that defeated his authority and power over our lives and over our homes. We plead that blood. We plead that blood. We plead that blood. We plead that blood in the name, in the name of Jesus, in the name, in the name of Jesus.
in the name, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I just had something come to me. I'm, I'm not telling you this is a, a word from God, but it just came to me while I was praying. It, it, would, it might be a good idea that as a family sometime during your day that you celebrate communion together. It doesn't take a pastor or a priest to do it. You can do it. And, you know, just some grape juice or sometimes we've used, <laughs> we've been traveling, we've used whatever we could use. But because what you're doing by that is you're acknowledging that you are abiding in Christ. And abiding in Christ is the New Testament counterpart to being in, under the secret place of the Most High of Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is wonderful protection promises, but it begins with conditions. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. We now have the privilege of dwelling, abiding in Christ. And in Him is all that protection. So what communion does is it reminds you, it, it celebrates the union that you have with Him as a family together. So I'm not saying it's a word from God, but it can't hurt. And it may do a whole lot of good. Praise the Lord. Well, let's stand. You guys don't need to play. That's okay. Let's just stand together. We're just going to thank God for what He's done. We're going to thank God for... I thank God tonight, Father, for everyone that has been here and joined us, both here personally and online. Whatever's, what we know has been done has been done because you've been part of that and you've joined your faith together with ours. And so we thank you for it. So Father, I just ask you to bless each and every one that's been here or been part of this prayer meeting tonight. Lord, they've done the most unselfish thing they can do. They put aside their time, their tiredness, their schedule, and in many cases their own needs and issues to pray and stand in the gap for the needs of others. And now, Lord, as they've sown seed for the needs of others, I ask you that they reap a harvest of prayer and of faith in their own lives. And we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless.